0: Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Before we, we move along, I actually, Dan, they did a great job leading us in worship and being connected to the Spirit today. I hope you feel His presence. But I want to give us a little more time to just be quiet and um, listen to the Lord. So I just want to start my message today because I'm going to ask you to think about something difficult in a moment. And I want us to start from a place where we are connected to the presence of God because that is a key part. Of the work that we're going to talk about today, and so I just want to invite you again to go to the quiet place of prayer. Just close your eyes; so you can kind of move away from those distractions. And I want to tell you a story that comes from the Bible. This is an old way of prayer that we learned from um, the Jesuits, where you imagine yourself in one of the gospel stories. Okay, so this is prayer. Luke chapter 15, there's a story of a rebellious son who doesn't understand the love that his father has for him, the love that his family has for him. He doesn't understand his identity, and in his immaturity and his rebellion, he asks for the very worst thing he could ask his father for, and that is his inheritance before the father has died. So just imagine watching this. The father graciously gives to his son what will belong to him someday, and he leaves. And the son says to the father, basically, I want what you have to give me, but I don't want you. And he leaves. I want you to imagine the pain that father and that family may have experienced as the son leaves. Jesus tells the story this way. He goes off and he, he squanders all that he has in wild living and, and, and trying to make his own way. And he literally ends up in a pig pen with nothing to eat. And he says to himself, if I were to go home, maybe my father will treat me like one of the servants. Never hopes to be treated as a son, but like a servant. The passage says that he comes to his senses and at once goes home. And while he's a long way off, but visible from the house, so imagine this farm estate, the father sees the son, he runs out and he greets him. The son falls on his knees, the father wraps his arms around him, begins to kiss him and weep and welcomes him home, and immediately says, we are throwing a party because the son of mine, which was, we thought was dead, who our relationship was dead, is now home. Now here's what I want you to think about. I want you to put yourself in the place of that son. What did the road back to Jesus look like for you? If it's something that happened long ago, remember. And I want you to to remember a time in your life where you felt close to God. Loved by him. God showed up in a gracious way to you. I want you to remember that time. Now the way our memory works with just our spiritual life and prayer in our body is as we are connected to his presence and we feel gratitude, joy is activated in us. So be aware of your gratitude and even the joy of being connected to him. And Father, as we start today, I thank you for this story. We thank you that we are the son, the younger son in that story. But Father, we also know that we are the older son. But as we start today, Father, may we feel connected, grateful that we have a God that receives us home no matter what it is that we've done. And you continue to do that. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So that story is gonna be a focus today, uh, but in a roundabout way. Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Many of us love the story because of what we just experienced. It reminds us of the gospel, how we've been received by God, how God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. God has done something great that no one else could do for us. He's reconciled us to himself. But what often gets left out when we teach or read the story of the prodigal son is that there's another son in the story. Remember the older brother? There's an older brother in the story who actually experiences something tragic as the story closes. So in Luke chapter 15, I have the verse behind me, verse 28. Look what the older brother does. He's angry that the father receives the son with graciousness. And he becomes angry and refuses to go in. To go in is to go into the party that's being thrown for his younger brother. And the father goes out even to greet him. But the story ends with the older brother outside of the party, the reunion party. Now here's what I want us to think about today. We are the younger brother in the story, but we are all the older brother as well. There are a number of relationships in our life, I would guess at least one for every one of us, where we have divided and there is hostility that still exists, There's divisions within our relationship. And really, the reason Jesus told the story was not primarily to illustrate that God is like the father or we're like the younger son. He was speaking to a group of Pharisees saying, We're like that. We hold grudges, we have bitterness. We don't reconcile our relationships. And if you read throughout the scriptures, this is not special information that Cornerstone is giving out about reconciliation and peacemaking. Um, and really, that's what we're going to continue our conversation on peacemaking today. A series we started last year, ministry we started, and today we're calling this series Make Peace. And it's really building on the same ideas, that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation. If you are serious about enjoying God for what he's done with you, You must be, we must be serious about being reconciled to other people. Here's Rembrandt's picture of that parable. The younger son is there on his knees. His father is blessing him. And in the back, it's hard to see him because he's in the shadows Is the older brother. Jesus told the story for people who hold hate grudges, bitterness, who are estranged from different relationships. He told the story for them, and he said it this way, if this is important to you to be a younger brother, you also have to stop being an older brother. This is one of the great illustrations of the gospel that we're given uh, over history. Here's another illustration that often people use today. It's a bridge. You read about the gospel in the New Testament. We're often told that Jesus has bridged a gap But in places like Ephesians and Colossians and a a number of different places, right after this enjoyment about being reconciled to God, there is a message about being reconciled to other people. Isn't it true that we live in an increasingly fractured world? It's not stopping I think many of us hoped that some of the external factors that were creating division within our families and our churches and our community and the country and, and just different institutions like organizations, businesses, school districts, all of those things would come to an end but they seem to not be. We live in a world that is increasingly divided and as Christians, I believe that we have missed a key part of the gospel message which is he has reconciled us to himself so that we might be reconciled to other people. And so this series for the next couple weeks is about recapturing the key aspects of what it means to be Christian and growing in the spiritual practices of peacemaking, which Jesus was a master of. Now, let me just say this. Peacemaking doesn't mean just to be nice and pretend things haven't happened. Making peace, peacemaking is about moving through hostility where there is division to experience reconciliation. And so I just think it's important, not just for our own welfare. I think this is one of the reasons so many people live with so much anxiety. It's relational anxiety because we do not know what to do with a different opinion. We do not know what to do when there is a complicated, serious conflict in front of us. We do not know how to push through it. We have not been resourced as people in this country And I'll take full responsibility as a pastor of this church, you have not been resourced enough over the last 20 years to be the kind of person, at least from this church, that allows us to deal with the hostility we have towards others and move towards reconciliation. And so about a year ago, we felt like the Lord said, this is an emphasis for a long time on our church, for our church. And today, I want to take you to a story that is the first story of the prodigal son, Okay, now remember this. Jesus told that amazing parable, right? But the parable Jesus told comes from a very old, Old Testament story about the most famous family conflict that maybe has ever existed. Many of you know it. It's the conflict between Jacob and his brother Esau. I would not tell you that story if the story didn't end in a beautiful way, because it does. But the story of the prodigal son is all based on the story of Jacob and Esau. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna show you that conflicts are complicated. They come easy, but they are complicated. There's always a lot going on behind the scenes that contributes to the conflicts that we have. And I'm not just talking about an argument at work. I'm talking about the conflicts we have with people who are close to us. So at this time of year, there's, you know, a number of articles come out about how people are nervous and the percentage of Americans that are nervous about spending time with their family at holidays because we argue about religion and we argue about politics and now we argue about masks and vaccines, right? We need to be ready. But there's a lot of things that go into those conflicts with people close to us. Conflicts are complicated and easy to get into, but this is what I want you to hear today. Reconciliation is simple but not easy. So conflicts are complicated and easy to get into, but reconciliation is is simple, but not easy to achieve, all right? So I wanna take you to the story that starts in Genesis chapter 25, and we're gonna look at some of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, my very favorite rabbi, says this about learning from the Old Testament patriarchs. He says, the patriarchs were more than founders of a new faith. They were and are also role models Their lives are significant not only for what they tell us about the past, but for what they tell us about the present and the challenges that we face ourselves. And so I want you to find yourself in the story, just like you find yourself in the parable of the prodigal son. Find yourself in this story. This is a story of a sibling rivalry between two twin brothers that lasted over 20 years. Genesis chapter 25, verse 22 Speaking of these twin babies, the babies jostled each other within her, speaking of their mother, Rebecca, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire to the Lord, and the Lord shared something prophetic with her about the conflict of her sons. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know why God gave her insight, but the boys are literally inside her womb, rustling. We have a few people in the room that have carried twins. All right, that's quite a task. But then when the sibling rivalry takes place inside the womb, it starts there, that's something dramatic. Years go by. Most scholars believe about 15 years go by. The two twin brothers are a teenage age, so they're, they're certainly not mature adults. But they're moving into young adulthood and the time comes for them to receive their blessing. And here's what you need to know about ancient times and families. The firstborn, and especially the firstborn son in ancient families, received the majority of the inheritance as well as the majority of the responsibility to carry on the legacy of the family. Okay. So in this case, Esau is the firstborn, Jacob is the secondborn. And the time comes for them to receive their blessing. It's not the same blessing because Esau's the oldest and he's gonna receive the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob himself still has a blessing to receive, but it's not the same as his brother. So verse 24, when the time came for her to, oh wait, let me read this just so you can see what's happening. When the time came for her to give birth, they were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. What a name. After this, his brother, his brother came out with his hand grasping Elah's, Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. And that's kind of a weird name. It literally means usurper or someone that holds on or someone that's sneaky. So these poor boys get terrible names. Red hairy man and usurper, okay? 15 years ago by... And now we get to verse 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get the equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you a blessing before I die. Verse 5. Now, Rebekah, she's the mother, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau, and when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare, uh, pre- prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give it to you, give to you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. So many of you remember the details of the story. He goes out and gets the goat, and Rebekah actually cooks the food for Jacob Rebecca actually goes and finds clothes for Jacob to wear that aren't his own. Whose clothes are they? They're Esau's clothes, right? She goes out and she gets uh, the goat skin and she puts it on his arms. And she says to Jacob, I want you to go to your father, at the very least appearing like Esau to get your blessing. Verse 22 of chapter 27, Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, Jacob replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some of the wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, Whose clothes are they? They're Esau's clothes, right? He blessed him. So it's all about this time that Esau comes back from the wilderness where he's been hunting. And he's ready to prepare the meal for his father that his father just thought he was eating from Esau. But Mother Rebekah had made it, gave it to Jacob to give to the father. Verse 33. When they found out that Isaac had given Jacob the blessing of the firstborn... All hell breaks loose. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? Why do you shake violently? Imagine him weeping. He knows that something has been done that can't be undone. Everyone's life has just changed because a mistake has been made or someone has done something evil. Let's skip down to verse 41. He's trembling violently, everyone's weeping, it's terrible says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. After the days of mourning are done and they're near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what the older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides when your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you have done. Which, that's funny. When your brother forgets what you have done. Who forgets something like that, right? All right, so this is what I want you to see. That's the conflict. We'll get to the resolution in a moment. There are two interpretations Of The cause of this conflict, we all understand. I I went into detail, I wanted you to hear all the the details of the passage so that you understand actually what took place, what was lost. Uh, The family is now scattered. Jacob is living in a different place. There's, There's this conflict between Isaac and Rebecca and Esau. It's just a great big mess and it would stay this way for 20 years. But I want us to analyze how the conflict came about. So, one version, which is the most obvious interpretation, which often gets taught, and we've taught it here at Cornerstone, and I certainly do not believe that it's bad, is the cause of this conflict is that Jacob is a little liar and he's evil. Seriously. And not only is Jacob a liar, but his mom's a liar, right? And you have this weird codependent relationship between mother and son, and the two of them are willing to do just about anything to get from their father what they want Jacob to have. So it's easy to look at the story and say, of course there's a conflict that lasted for 20 years. There's an evil little brother and a terrible mother. Now, the reason this is the most obvious and easiest interpretation is because this is what we like to do with all conflicts in our life. When you're in conflict with someone else, we quickly want to jump to the place that they are wrong, they did something bad, they did something evil, it's all their fault. Isn't that true? When someone harms us, we are not quick to try to understand how complicated things might be, the confusion, the dysfunction of of certain things that may have contributed to it, we quickly want to label someone else as bad and evil. Now, I don't wanna give you a, a number of examples, but just look what's happening with people's different opinions about how we treat masks and vaccines. We are moralizing our opinions, and when we do so, our enemy or our opponent becomes our enemy because they are evil, because we have moralized our opinion as good. But conflicts are usually complicated. So I actually think this second interpretation is probably more like it actually happened. And this is an interpretation that has been passed on through the rabbis. So we, hopefully you, you, you understand that this is a Jewish story. And the Jewish rabbis have been teaching and giving insight into the story much longer than Christians have. And so we build on, on their tradition. So this is a tradition or an interpretation that's been passed on from the rabbis. Here's how this interpretation of the conflict goes. Jacob and his mother aren't as evil as they first appear. They're not as deceitful as you first appear. What's happening here is the whole family is in the middle of a dysfunctional family system. You understand what a family system is? The family system is a way in which we relate to different people in the family. And, and the best way to think about it is every family has unspoken rules. Like you, you can say these things, you can't say these things, you can do these things, you can't do those things. You can treat dad this way, but not that way. You can talk to mom about this, but not about that. It's the family secrets. Every family has a family system. The rabbis say, look at the dysfunctional family system within, that's happening here. You have two sons who are preferred By each of the parents. When you get into the details of the story, when Esau comes out, Rebekah and Isaac name him together. They look at him and say, He's a red hairy man, we'll call him Esau. If you get a little more into what the name means, Esau has something to do with the doer, he's active. He's a picture of what's kind of traditional masculinity, like the macho guy that's big and strong and goes out and does things and kills things and and brings home and supports the family, okay? The two of them named Esau together, and at least Rebecca believes that the father Isaac prefers Esau, but then there's Jacob, and we're told of Jacob that he preferred to stay close to home, so he's different than Esau. And he certainly is preferred by his mother. Did you know that the name usurper, which is kind of what Jacob means, was given to Jacob not by his mother and his father, but only by his father? So mom and dad name the oldest, dad names the youngest. Here's what I want you to see. You have a kid that's understood by his father and another son that's not understood by his father. And the mother pushes and pushes and pushes So that her younger son might appear to her husband the way the oldest son does. So, this is what the rabbis say. They say, you know, all she was trying to do is to make sure Isaac got his blessing, not Esau's. And the message was very clear to Jacob that it's you're not enough how you are right now, you need to be more like your brother. So let's go get his clothes let's pretend that you've hunted and you've prepared the stew let's prepare that your arms feel manly let's pretend for a moment that you're like esau so that you might impress your father so that he will for once understand you so see how insightful the rabbis are There's one verse that they build this whole case on. It's chapter 27, verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse for myself rather than a blessing. This very verse in here is why the rabbis say Jacob didn't really know what was happening. But the conflict exists nonetheless, and it has a number of complicated things contributing to it. So a dysfunctional family system, these unspoken rules. Um, you have an insecure 15-year-old boy. You have an overly bonded mother with her son. You have a father that perhaps has neglected his younger son in trying to understand him or allow him to be his own individual person. And so the whole thing is just this recipe for Disaster. You have the anxiety of the mother that her son is going to miss the blessing. How much of conflict is caused by inner anxiety? Not just because someone did something bad, but all these other things going on. What I want you to see is there's a number of reasons why we get into these serious conflicts in our life. Jacob's insecurity, both of the brothers are immature, the family system is dysfunctional, it's a mess. But that family is a lot like all of our families, right? Like, there are no perfect families. There are no perfect family systems. There's constantly triangulation within a family of, you can't talk to your kid that way. You can't talk to your parent that way. There's different relationships. There's all of these different things that contribute to different conflicts. Conflicts are complicated and easy to get into. Reconciliation is simple, but very hard to do. Professor at Fuller Seminary I was reading an article this week. He said this. He said, we live in an era of acute anxiety and great fear, and as a result, too often Christians end up wrapping Jesus into our anger and our fearful distortions. Isn't that true? Our anxiety and our fear also comes from all of these different things in the past. Conflict is complicated. And so I prefer to think that there's truth in both of these interpretations, but I could see how it's it's, it's possible. And the second interpretation of this dysfunctional family system and this mistake that was made that wasn't intended. And by the way, the way another reason the rabbis believe that it was a mistake is because Rebecca is surprised that Esau is so angry because she didn't know that Jacob was receiving the firstborn blessing. That's when she says, oh no, you've got to run. Why else would she ask her son to do this, knowing that Esau would be so angry, especially when he is her preferred son, unless, if, she, if she would have known that he would have had to leave? So this, this great big mess is made, and it's just wrapped up in this quagmire. And for 20 years, Jacob is living away from his family, estranged. And you can read all about the life of Jacob in chapter 27, 28, 29, and keep going. One thing about Jacob is, you know, he, he, he was a mess. Not only did he struggle with his brother, not only did he have struggles with his father, not only did he listen to his mom when he probably shouldn't have, but he struggled with different people the rest of his life. And not only did he struggle with re- other people most of the rest of his life, but he struggled with God most of his life. And so he's off on his own, but God was faithful to him and God was faithful to keep a promise that he had made to his family, that God would bless the world through him. And so God appeared to him in a dream. And early on, when he's off away from the family, the Lord appears to him in a dream and just gives him this assurance that I will be with you. But as Jacob matures in his age, he begins to take on a family, and he, he, he's blessed. God blesses him, and he has, a, he has a, a number of cattle, and he has this great big tribe that's following him around, and he's the leader of this great big group. But then the time comes that God is ready to do something in this family to bring reconciliation. Now, I don't know why the Lord waited 20 years. Maybe he didn't. We're just told that this is how long it took for Jacob to get the message. But it took 20 years. And the Lord said to Jacob, I want you to cross the river, the Jordan River, and go back to the land of the family. And what that means when the Lord tells him to go back and cross the river, it means that you have to go back and face your family. Which means you need to go back and face Esau. This is not a small thing. Reconciliation with another person always starts with someone taking the first step. The first phone call, the first text, the first gracious word, the first to offer forgiveness, the first to ask for forgiveness. And here we have the coward who's run away his whole life, now strong enough at least to cross back over and to move towards his brother. It's kind of amazing that he got to this place and he actually obeyed the Lord. But it wasn't easy for him. We keep going. It says in verse seven, I think this is chapter 32, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau, Esau comes to attack one group, the other group may be left to escape. So he's, he's hedging his bets. I'm gonna divide up everything I have. If he attacks one group, the other one can live on. Verse nine, then Jacob prayed, oh God, my, the father of Abraham, God of my father Isaac lord who said to me go back to your country and your relatives and i will make you prosper i am unworthy of all this kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant i have only my staff when i crossed the jordan but now i have i have become two camps save me i pray from the hand of my brother esau for i am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children so he's terrified His brother is not yet ready to receive him. There's been no interaction between the two of them for 20 years that we know of. The night before the meeting, an amazing thing happens. Many of you love this story. I love it because it's the first place in all of the Bible that the wonderful sport of wrestling appears. (laughs) Remember the story? He wrestles with an angel. Some believe it's a manifestation of God in a body, which would be Jesus. I like to say he wrestled with God that night, and he asks for a blessing, and the the wrestling match ends, and he's left with a limp. Something has been broken inside of him, but something has been put at peace. Jacob, for once in his life, is okay with being Jacob, the young boy who literally was uncomfortable in his own skin. He was so insecure that he was, he got in the middle of this great big mess and created this horrible conflict that divided the family. He is now comfortable enough in his own skin. And you know how that happens? It happens when you wrestle with God and you let God settle all the identity issues for you. Which, if we're thinking about applying something to peacemaking in our own life, conflict should show us that there's something inside that we need to wrestle with God about. Because it's not just the cause of the other, it's not just the other person that's the cause of all of it. There is always something inside of us that the Lord wants to wrestle with us through so that we might come out on the other end more like Jesus, ready to move towards others, ask for forgiveness, give forgiveness, whatever it would be. So he has this wrestling match with God. This amazing thing happens. He's finally at least comfortable enough in his own skin to go appear before his brother. Chapter 33, verse one. Here's the reunion. It's a beautiful picture. This moment is the picture that Jesus was described when he told the parable of the prodigal son. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel. Remember, he's dividing his camp and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead of all of them and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. A picture of repentance and humility, bowing several times, ready to be killed. And here's the picture. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Now, before we go on and all these other things, Jacob tries to give him gifts. Esau says, I don't need anything. There's no earning back. This is just grace, just Picture them weeping together, these brothers. You can't tell me it didn't mean something to them. Often people ask Are there pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament? Well, here's one of them they're reunited, they weep together. You can read behind me. You guys can just scroll those. I'll just summarize it for the sake of time. But Esau looks up and sees this great big family that Jacob has, and he realizes, that's my family. Those are my nieces and nephews, and he rejoices because the whole family is brought together. Because usually, when conflict is serious, these complicated ones, it doesn't just affect the two people involved. It affects everyone around, right? Right? Which means reconciliation blesses everyone that's around, the people involved in the conflict. Let me point out a few things that must have changed for both Jacob and Esau. These two immature boys that we saw uh, in in the, the episode just a moment ago, they have grown up. Jacob, as we talked a moment ago, is now comfortable with who he is. The good and the bad about himself, he can stand up and be who he is because he's okay with God. And he understands that God is with him and God cares about him and God blesses him and God sees him. And so he's able to stand before other people. Jacob, the sneaky one that takes the easy way out, is now willing to be obedient even to the place that he's willing to take a sacrifice or suffer by being obedient. God told him to cross the Jordan. He did it, even though it was difficult. That's growth. He's humble. He bows before his brother. He's willing and prepared to take responsibility for all of the offenses that he's done and caused his brother. This often looks like making amends with someone else in your life, asking for forgiveness, giving, for, giving forgiveness, repenting. Those are simple principles, aren't they? Humility, asking for forgiveness. Reconciliation is simple, but it's not easy. Now look at Esau. Esau. He's operating out of his own gratitude. Of course, something has been stolen from him, but he's allowed God to replace those things. Esau's not walking around just just thinking of himself as a victim, and this is one of the things that has to help, uh, that people have to experience when conflict ends is people have to stop acting like they're the victims. Esau got there. Maybe it took him 20 years, but he got there. His anger has changed to love and affection for his younger brother and his family, And he takes responsibility by offering forgiveness and releasing his brother from all of the offenses. (coughs) Excuse me. Last night I was talking with my, my friend Dan. Listen, Elise, and Dan and I were having a conversation just about the fractured world that we live in. And there's a sociologist, he's a pastor, but he's really like a cultural sociologist that is really insightful. His name's Mark Sayers in describing what's happening in America and in the world. And uh, one of the ways he describes it is he describes it in three different worlds. So the first world was the world before, um, before God began to move through the Jewish people and and built the Christian faith, and, and, and the gospel came. And that is a world where it was, you know, it was the pagan world. It was uh, God is angry with us, we need to pray for rain, and uh, it's just about survival and it's tribalism. That was the first world. The second world was transformed, though, with the giving of the scriptures and God revealing himself and then Jesus coming. And the world that most of us have lived in most of our lives, so m- most of us for most of our lives, not all of us, was that second world. Most of the big questions about life were answered by what we call the Judeo-Christian narrative, the script. There's a loving God who created us to know him. There's sin in the world. Sin needs to be dealt with. It's forgiven by Jesus. We can actually experience new life. We're called to join him in rebuilding the world. The big questions about life are answered in that second world, but the world we now live in is the third world, where we have now moved past that second world, and there is no agreement about the big questions, there's no agreement about the big answers, there's no narrative pulling everyone together anymore. We do still live in a world that has the benefits of what we receive from the Judeo-Christian script, like uh, uh, the benefits of things like justice and equality and love. Like that all came from that second story. But we're now in this third world, this third story, where there's not agreement where any of those things come from. So what is it that's pulling people together or holding people together? This is what real sociologists that study the divisions in in our country are worried about. There isn't a narrative that pulls people together anymore. And so we're vulnerable to lesser narratives, like the conservative narrative or the liberal narrative or the secular narrative. We're vulnerable to have a narrative that makes sense of life for us. The narrative that has always been placed into this world that's meant to bring people together is the narrative of the gospel, illustrated by the story of the prodigal son and illustrated by the story of Jacob and Esau. When Jesus stood that day, in front of the Pharisees and all these people they called the sinners and he told the story of the younger brother and the older brother. He was looking right at the Pharisees, the religious people saying, you are the older brother. You should have been like Esau, but you're not. You should be like Esau in the future, but you're not. If the gospel means anything to us, we have to recapture the the beautiful message and grace of our faith, which is making peace with other people in the ministry of reconciliation. There will be no resolution to the debates about race in our country, immigration. There will be no resolution to any of those things until the people who actually have the story of reconciliation who have the peacemaker empowering them until people like us actually take this more serious there will be no healing we are called to be salt and light in the world and i believe Now more than ever, this is the primary way Christians can serve our culture, is refusing to be the people who divide and end relationships. And I will tell you firsthand from my own life, and maybe someday I can tell you more about some personal conflicts that I am going through, they are difficult. They are complicated. Just because you spend time together and you talk together and you go to mediation seven different times together, not that someone has, It doesn't come easy. I mean, it's, it's simple. Forgiveness needs to happen, releasing one another from the offense. It's simple, but it does not come easy. But this is what it looks like to be a Christian in the world today that lives as light. And for as long as I get to have this role at Cornerstone, this is gonna be one of the messages I call us to. As often as is necessary, we're called to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. This week, as you think about your own life and your own relationships, I want you to hold in your mind the two pictures. I want you to hold in your mind the father who greets the son in the parable and the older brother that's behind in judgment. That's one picture. That's who you can be. That's who I can be. That's who many of us are. All the time, even right now. But then there's another picture of a different older brother named Esau who runs to his brother. He puts his arms around him. He weeps with his brother. He forgives and he releases the offense. That's who we're called to be. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. All right, I'm going to have the the worship team come out, and I want to give us a moment where we can just be with the Lord, and then we're going to have our prayer team come on up. So prayer team, you can come up and give us a chance to receive some support from one another today. And so let's just go to the quiet place of prayer. And hopefully what we've been talking about today has... um, had you thinking, has you thinking about a particular relationship in your life that needs some attention. There needs to be some movement back and forth between the parties involved. For just a moment, I want you to ask the Lord to show you what that is. Maybe he already has. If he has, I want to give you a moment for the Lord to show you what that relationship is that he would like you to think about today. And the truth is, most likely you'll never know how complicated it is. Only God knows it. He's the only one that sees both perspectives. I just want you to be aware, though, of all the things that have contributed to it, all the complications. Maybe this particular conflict happened long ago, and so you have the benefit of having time between the offense and where you are right now, and the sting is off a little bit. Time does bring healing, or it can, but maybe it's close, and it still hurts. conflict, the pain, the offense, the frustration, the anger, all of it is very, very real. Jesus can empathize with all of those feelings because he's been in the same place. What would it look like? for you to be called a peacemaker. What is the step that the Lord might be asking you to take towards those pers- towards that person and there is no guarantee that it works out. But as Paul said, as far as it's possible with me, I want to live at peace with everyone. Father, this is a difficult thing. These are private things. These are perhaps old stories that literally have shaped who we are. The harming, the anger, they literally have shaped who we are, and we're so comfortable living with hostility towards other people, even those close to us. We need your help. We admit, God, that we are weak to do what you can do, and so we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our life, that we might be like Jesus. We might be like the children of God. So as we close today, we have the prayer team up front, and one reason we have the prayer team up here every week is we believe in the healing power of Jesus. We believe in the healing power of the gospel, not just to heal people physically, not that just that the Lord is able to heal communities, but we believe that the Lord is able to heal relationships. And so most likely the other person involved is not here today, but if there is a, a conflict in your life that's on your heart right now and you feel compelled to ask someone to help support you, the people up here wanna just pray that the Lord would bring healing to that relationship. And so I wanna encourage you to take advantage of them. I can tell you that prayers from friends accountability from friends, encouragement from friends to not give up on the most important relationships is one of the only things that's kept me going when I got tired. And so I want to encourage you to receive the support from other people. And so as we worship, you could come up and they're simply just going to pray that the Lord would bring healing to that relationship. You don't even have to explain who it's with if you don't want, but they want to bless you. And So let's stand together and these guys will lead us.